Hey, group chat. I know y'all see my text. There's tea to be spilled. Each week, we're bringing you our unfiltered take on culture, news, dating, and our lives as Black millennial women. We're coming to y'all with the honesty and eye rolls that only a text chain with your girls can. This is Black Girls Texting with Chelsea, Glenn, and Shade. Back to another episode of Black Girls Texting. It's me, Shade. Who else? It's me, Charles Pinky. It's Glenn Bedside Barat. What's popping, y'all? Nothing much. We have quite an episode. Um, I'm excited for you to hear this guest. Unfortunately, Chelsea had some internet drama. Uh, they don't have internet in LA. It was <laughs> the devil. The devil was keeping the, devil the, at work. the light-skinned girl off the episode, essentially. She um, said it was not your, your space to take up space. Or <laughs> no, I'm... We're totally kidding. We talked a lot about, you know, that being important. So make sure you stay tuned, but we're going to keep the Reddit replies and all the kind of like pre-interview stuff pretty tight. On red or reply. And I'm going to kick it off. I am leaving on red a conversation I just had with my boss where she basically was just like, oh, I need you to like send me a list of your priorities of the week so I know what you're working on and blah, 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 blah. Because I refuse to use these trackers that we have at work Mm. because I think that they're stupid. And so now everyone's like, I don't know what you're doing. And I'm like, but it's getting done. So why do you care? Like, I hate any form of micromanagement. And I find these trackers to be extremely annoying. I literally have to put in every single person I've reached out to the date I'm going to pitch them. Did they confirm? Did they deny? Did they agree? What's the next steps? Like, do you realize that I need to talk to 105 people? Why would I waste time filling out your stupid ass tracker when I could be talking to someone else? This makes no sense. It is a waste of time. Now, I wish I was salaried again because I'd be like, sure, I'll do your tracker. And please believe I'll be adding five hours a week to the to the damn uh, overtime for the tracker. And I would be like, just so you know, this tracker is costing you an additional hundred dollars an hour. Dumb shit. But whatever. I guess I'll do it. Those are annoying. Do you do it on workday? No, it's like, it's the ghetto. It's a goddamn Google fucking tracker. <laughs> Literally, so I'm sending somebody links to a tracker right now. I hate like, the word tracker. I don't want to try I know, I'm like, I'm triggered by tracker right now. <laughs> and she literally looked at me and like was like, I really need you to use the tracker. And I was like, I'm kind of using it. Like, just leave me alone. But so yeah, so she's like, you know, I'm just... And I just never know what you're doing. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. But it's getting done. <laughs> right. As long as it's getting done, it would be different if like no one knew what you were doing and no- you weren't producing anything. Right. But like, that's not the case. It's, it's an- <sighs> Anywho, um, I'm replying to I had a fun weekend in by the beach here in Mexico. I met the love of my life, but he's a gay man, so <laughs> I guess. That just can't be, but he's so cute and so sweet, and I'm just obsessed with him. Um, so yeah, it was a good time. Got some sun, a little beach time in, and I'm back in the city working on fucking trackers. So literally, I'm getting blown up about trackers. God lord, but yeah, I saw you had some boat time. 
yeah, boat time. I mean, honestly, all of that feels null and void because now I have to sit here. Like, I don't even want to think about my to-do list. It's so long. It's so long. Uh, And then I'm just like, I'm sorry I'm going on this rant, but I'm like, y'all niggas are over here like, oh, and also, can you pitch this person? Oh, and talk to this person and talk to that person. Like, do you understand the process it takes to pitch? First, I have to send a fucking email, okay? Emailing and scheduling to meet with someone is so annoying. And I'm coordinating multiple people's schedules. So I'm a damn admin. And now on top of like doing the pitch, talking to people like over and over again, like, hi, oh my God, I want you to get so excited about this thing. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. You want me to fill out a tracker with every single detail of it? I want the tracker to say, suck my dick. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, work is like, I'm done, done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. That's how I feel about work. Literally Um, after I spoke to her, I was like, I need to be on a different team because I can't do this tracker. <laughs> no, I just do the damn tracker. tracker. <laughs> Literally. Applying to her weekend. My weekend. Uh, my weekend. It oh, was, okay. it was I, tied I up into com- complaints. <laughs> so it's hard to hear. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Um, I'll go. I don't have a on red you know i would probably talk about trackers as well to be honest um i'm just gonna shout out two black and excellent and fun things that i'm replying to one of which i put this in the group chat yesterday if you miss insecure they have a game it's called insecure colon i think it's the come up okay for the previous fans of kim kardashian hollywood it's giving you that energy i already joined and i played like the first chapter or something and you get from like scene to scene like you have to get hype points and the way that you get hype points are by like doing freestyle raps so you have to like like Issa is in the game with you and she teaches you how to like rhyme and verse and all this kind of stuff and like you do all these little challenges and then you win new words for your like rap rolodex and I noticed that when you use certain slang, you earn, like, because, you know, you can pick your answers and, like, you're having, like, a dialogue with someone. And when you choose certain replies, you get, like, slang, like, you get words, like, like, Issa, like, this, I sound like a fucking crazy person. In the game, yes, Issa you do. got me a job at Molly's Law Firm. And I was like, word, thanks for helping me get to the bag. And then when I said that, it, like, gave me all these points. So I really wonder if, like... White people play the Wait. game or people that not tapped in, like how the game works for them. Fair. So you type in these sentences? You no, no, no. The, the, there's, like, to the back. there's like three choices I could say, like, thanks, girl. Oh. No, I'm I'm excited and thanks oh. for letting me get to the bag. Yeah. So probably if you know the culture, you get more points. Correct, correct. Oh, which I, I like think that. is kind of cool. And when you start the game, it asks you for your pronouns. It has um in the like way that you can like design your uh avatar you can you can choose like your your width of your waist and your hips and the width of your nose like you they get like super detailed there's hella complexion ranges it's very cool so yeah I suggested it was fun it was a cute little game I really also brought me back to being like a pre-k teacher because we were literally using like cvc words and rhyming words and shit to play the game and to be a rapper (laughs) um and then I also just wanted to give Another little shout out to our friends at um, 
the Greater Miami Tourism Bureau. I was just reflecting on our time in Miami, probably because it's just cold and dreary and gloomy here. And I've still been following all these artists that we met down there during Art Basel when we went to um, uh, Soul Basel. But that whole initiative and a lot of those like events and things that we went to were actually a part of a greater initiative in Miami called the Art of Black Miami. Um, so it's a series of Art of Black Miami events that take place, again, during Art Basel, Miami, and beyond. Um, it's a year-round program that highlights the artistic, cultural landscape found in Greater Miami and Miami Beach's diverse communities. The initiative celebrates all genres of visual arts, including painting, sculpture, ceramics, photography, animation, printmaking, all by Black artists. So if you are based in the Miami area, or if you find yourself traveling down to that area and you want to experience um, the works of Black artists there, go to uh, artofblackmiami.com to stay in the mix. Yes, I love that. Well, I am going to reply to the fact that it's my first week recording living in Los Angeles. It's 81 degrees today. Um, I might go take a dip in the pool. Wow. <laughs> um, and for on red, mm, well, for on red, I'll say LA. It'll I'll say it's the second best city. New York's still number one. Um, LA, where are your trains? Why can't I get around unless I have a car, which I don't have a car yet? I mean, technically, I guess I could walk around, but it's creepy because no one else is walking around. So then I feel like I could get snatched up because no one else is on the street. Anyways. So uh, I'm here. I'm in LA. If you're a listener in LA and you want to give me some LA advice, feel free to DM us on our Instagram account at black girls texting or tweet us. Uh, I must say Garcelle Bouveau. Is that her name? She liked one of our tweets recently. So yeah oh my gosh what was it you know, i don't know how that app works yeah uh i forgot what the tweet was i think it was me responding to one of her tweets um but our twitter is black girls text one love to see it if anyone can teach me how to use twitter that'd be great it's way easier than reels you just write a sentence yeah but i'm like what like what like you're just writing sentences and people are engaging like I don't get it yeah um, I think if you're talking about something that's like popular like I was tweeting a lot about euphoria and people were responding or hearting it I didn't use like any hashtag or anything or maybe hmm. I didn't but I don't think you have to on Twitter anymore would you um, look at that oh wait can I just leave that on can I also reply to that Zendaya acting her ass off on Euphoria. Oh my God, this bitch is killing it. And I know we're going to have an episode about colorism and a lot of people try to come at her because she's light-skinned, but I think her performance really shows that she also just has the talent and the chops. So let's stop coming for Zendaya. Nah, she was acting her ass off on that episode. Like Carries the whole episode. (laughs) Can't watch that show, but I've heard amazing things. It's, it's like not so that triggering good. to yeah, me. Everybody's not- always like, I'm so anxious, triggered, blah. I'm like, this is this past episode get- life. made me anxious. Yeah. Well, do you know what, what I chase. recently learned? Like drug use makes me very depressed. Like I just don't like I think I have like weird ties to it. So I just don't like it. 
Yeah, okay. you have been sounding like a dare representative recently. So, I <laughs> well, so my most of my father's family is dead because of heroin. So I just don't like. No, any, like I was gonna say, I could see how that would be actually with like opioids, the drugs, OB. the drug use, and so I just find it like it makes me uncomfortable. I just find it so like sad because you like, yeah. I, I would ask him about this stuff, not to go on this tangent, but I asked him like, why were all these people like doing this? And I just think about like how it was literally placed in our communities. He's like, I don't know. I just got there and then everyone was doing it and then everyone was dead. And then like, I have a lot of family who are addicted yeah. to crack and like have a really bad relationships because of it. So I just think it's like, if it makes you feel any better. The show is not a black community. It's actually more white than well yes 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 (laughs) but it just makes me think of all of it like I'm thinking about the the opioid crisis right now and how apparently like the opioid crisis is killing more people than COVID it's so fucked up yep I mean it it is very fucked up and yeah I've been having like a lot of I think people get very emotional about euphoria like the other day I posted that Rue gets on my last fucking nerves and the amount of DMs that I got like it is a disease she's an addict and and I'm like, the funny thing is y'all don't know my background and you don't know my story. And I understand addiction as well. Right. Um, but she still gets on my fucking nerves. <laughs> um, but everyone is so like emotional about that show. And yeah. I think it I think it has to do with how good of a job those actors oh, yeah. are doing, how good of a job those writers are doing, because you are so invested in those characters and like they feel like people you know. Um, obviously if I had a friend that was a drug addict, I wouldn't be like, she gets on my nerves. She's a drug addict, but this Mm -hmm. is a character. So like, I feel more comfortable saying that, but yeah, people are very emotional about the show. Yeah. I, I'm like, maybe I will when I'm like in a more calm place, but right now, like every week I see a meme and people are like, Oh, it's too much. And why am I doing this to myself? There's literally an article from refinery 29 why i stopped watching euphoria and i'm like oh my god this is not making me like want to watch the show at all i think think it's layered it It has moments of levity it actually has some moments of humor sometimes it has mess and tea it has scandal it has set (laughs) scandal and it has a lot of dark shit too but um yes well um i'll quickly jump to the hotline bling um Being here and traveling a lot and having friends who live everywhere, the WhatsApp hotline bling is really blinging. And I got added to like a Black Girls of Mexico City group. And I have not. Cute. And it keeps going crazy. I feel like Glenn where I'm like, oh, it's too much. I don't want to answer it. I don't know these people. I'm not ready to engage. But I think I need to eventually. Yeah. That is so cute. That's how I'm like, I I don't have time. I have to fill out the tracker. Period. That's what I'm trying to tell y'all. Now it's easier to avoid uh to ignore WhatsApp messages though, because they just be like over there. So yeah. See, yeah. But that's cute. I'm sure they have like a little meetup. They're still going. I just got a couple things and I'm like, oh, uh, oh my God, you should put me in the chat for I know, I was gonna say, in a couple weeks. I was gonna say put me in the chat, but I've never mm. been there. <laughs> I don't know if I can put y'all in the chat now. Okay, exclusive. Anyways, I was it's an exclusive chat. No, (laughs) did I tell you guys I was thinking of Mexico City for a wedding? Yes, you did, and I told you to just let me plan it because I've already thought through what a wedding in Mexico City would be like. (laughs) Great, because the thought of planning a wedding is 
gives me, oh, it gives me hives actually. We put, we walked past like the justice, justice of the peace here. And it was like a beautiful building. And I was Girl, like, we could just go there. I was on mute. You didn't hear how hard I sucked my teeth. <laughs> don't do that. But you know what? I mean, sure. But no, don't do that to us, please. <laughs> I mean, you could, and then have a party after that's fine. Right. Yeah. That's also God. fine. I know. Mm, you should look into me. that if you want to start, you know, claiming each other or however the tax stuff works. Maybe just get on just that. Kind of get it done quick. It won't help us ahead of time. Oh, well, then hold. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like past a certain point, it doesn't matter. Um, oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, I'm going to jump to the black girl doing shit. My good sis, that's a black girl doing shit. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right, y'all. Our Black girl doing shit this week is Dr. Sarah Webb. She is an international speaker, consultant, and coach. She launched the global initiative Colorism Healing in 2013 to raise awareness and foster individual and collective healing through creative and critical work. Dr. Webb's efforts to address colorism include designing college courses, hosting an international writing contest, get up in their Glen, publishing books, teaching workshops, and mentoring students across the world. Dr. Webb has also written and contributed to several academic and non-academic articles presented at numerous conferences and been featured in regional NPR stations, Fox Soul TV, Illinois Time, and the TEDx stage. Y'all got to see her TED Talk and we'll make sure to link it in the show notes. But we are so honored to have her here in the flesh, epitomizing a Black girl doing shit. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I am excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the group chat. And now a word from our sponsors. Have you ever been on a date and it's going well and then all of a sudden they drop a huge deal breaker? Ooh, girl, you mean like they reveal they don't vote? Yes, I have. It's terrible. It's awkward. And you just want to get the hell out of there immediately. I know. So, well, thanks to the dating app OkCupid, you may never be in that situation again. OkCupid finds people you're most compatible with. Here's how it works. The OkCupid app learns what's important to you by asking you questions. Then the app's one-of-a-kind algorithm pairs you with people that care about what you care about, like puppies and reproductive rights. That means no more wasted money, no more wasted time, and no more surprises. It's time to find your person. Download the dating app OkCupid today. Hulu has the shows and movies you love and is committed to providing a platform for Black stories to continue to be seen with the Hulu Black Stories Hub. Watch Women of the Movement and catch up on Snowfall, Atlanta, Queens, Grand Crew, Blackish, and Abbott Elementary. Binge RuPaul's Drag Race, Power, Queen Sugar, Tyler Perry's Have and Have Nots, plus Hulu originals like Wu-Tang and American Saga, Woke, and more. With all those, plus classics like Living Single and docuseries like Your Attention, Please and Black Love and Hulu original movies like The United States versus Billie Holiday and Onyx Collective's award-winning documentary Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, you can find stories and storytellers that highlight and celebrate Black history, past and present, on Hulu's Black Stories Hub, 365 days a year. Hulu subscription required. Terms apply. Hey, group chat. It's Shade here, and I'm excited to share more about Walmart and Black and Unlimited. 
Black and Unlimited is a celebration of being whatever we want to be. Black and Unlimited is being black in rock and roll and country singer. Black in outdoor adventurer and vegan. Black in cosplay fan and comic book lover and cowboy too. And for who we are and anything else we want to explore, there's Walmart. We can pick up a yoga mat to be black and zen. The ingredients we need to be black and vegan. Or a skateboard to be black and rad and fearless. I personally love hosting and having my loved ones over for dinner and a fun game night. And I know I can go to Walmart for all my dinnerware needs and board games and cards for us to have an incredible night. I also have recently gotten back into the swing of things with my fitness. And I know I can go to Walmart for all of my fitness gear, whether it's a yoga mat or weights or whatever I need to get back in shape and just have that alone time to relax and connect with myself. So I encourage you all to celebrate all you are. Celebrate being black and unlimited. Feel free and inspired to explore anything and everything that could bring you joy. All right, y'all. It's time for the group chat. So as I mentioned offline, this is meant to be fun, but we are going to get into it um, because colorism is quite a topic. And I feel like there's a lot of just life experiences people have. So there's an emotional attachment, but then I feel like you also look at it from a very like semi-scientific lens. So I, I'm I'm curious to learn more. Um, but first I wanted to know, you know, why you even chose the name colorism healing, because it makes me think and through reading a lot to learn more about you that there's like healing work that a lot of us have to do. Um, so I'm just curious about the origins of that. Yeah, so healing was definitely from the very beginning an important part of all the work. I was coming up with the name of the blog, right? So Colorism Healing started off as a blog because I do have a background in writing and I wanted to express myself through writing. And so I knew colorism was going to be in the title. Like that's that's obvious, that's default. I was like, but what about colorism am I trying to do? And at the time, so this was in 2013, and there were articles sporadically that you would find around the internet. And a lot of it told us about colorism. It informed us about colorism, but there wasn't as much out, especially at the time, with solutions and like, what do we do and how do we move forward and how do we not continue to perpetuate it? And so Colorism healing had a nice ring to it. I probably looked up a bunch of synonyms for <laughs> different words like solutions, uh, strategies, and decided on healing because I was thinking at the time that for those of us who have experienced colorism or have experienced the damage, have been mm. part of the collateral damage that colorism wreaks in communities and families, we have to heal in order to do better by future generations. And so that's really where the name came from. Yeah, I um, watched in your your TED talk, you talk about um, that experience with your older sister and witnessing the way your family members responded to her. Mm-hmm. So if you could share that with your, with our listeners and then I have a follow up question, but yeah, maybe we can yeah. start there. Yeah, so like a lot of African-American families, throughout the country. My family has a lot of different skin tones in it. And even in my immediate family, there are a lot of immediate families in communities of color that have different skin tones. Mm -hmm. And so I have an older sister. She's three years older, so she's not much older. So we did spend a lot of time together. We were often 
in the same spaces, in the same rooms, and we have the same mother and the same father, right? So there's that um, extra components of, you know, because sometimes people say, oh, maybe y'all have different dads, or maybe you have, maybe you're half sisters, and that's why Mm -hmm. y'all quote unquote look alike, right? But I, I tell this story that I don't actually have memory of because my mom told me this story when I first started my blog, when I started blogging about colorism, she told me this memory of when I was about five years old, we were visiting extended family in the hospital and some older aunts, I think they were like great aunts were singing my sister's praises and saying, telling my mom, you'll have to watch out for that one because she's so pretty that she's going to break a lot of hearts one day. And my mom heard me whispering just to myself, well, that's because she's light-skinned. And so I tell that story, one, because it makes us realize how young we are when we start experiencing these things, not only having the experiences, but being able to recognize it. Cause Mm -hmm. people say, Oh, well, she's too young to understand. And I use that as an example of like, no children understand. They might not have the perfect language to explain what they see and how they feel, but they obviously, they definitely notice the way people treat them and the way people don't treat them, especially if it's in comparison to a sister or a cousin, right. In those kinds of intimate spaces. And it's also a testament to though, about the, how we can overcome colorism as dark-skinned girls and light-skinned girls, because despite how colorism would have attempted to separate me and my sister, to this day, we're still best friends. And we have an extremely Mm. close, beautiful relationship with each other. And so that definitely influences the way I choose to approach the topic of colorism. Whereas if I didn't grow up with a light-skinned sister, Or if my light-skinned sister sort of bought into the hierarchy and tried to distance herself from me or, you know, really did think she was better, then I probably would have a completely different approach to the subject matter. But that's just such an an integral part of my story and my experience. And that's the perspective I bring to the conversation. I think when you talk about those like early experiences with colorism or just even in the ways that we build our self-esteem and our identities like those Mm -hmm. that impacts our personal experiences and the way we walk through the world our confidence but you also talk about um, the implications of colorism systematically and I wondered if you could speak more to that as well yes thank you for asking that question because it's something I always try to insert into every conversation because so few people are really aware that colorism has systemic impact, right? And one of my goals and the goals of other people who advocate on colorism is to make people aware that colorism is not just about who's the cute girl in class. It's not Mm -hmm. just about beauty pageants. It's not just about getting the guy, you know, that there are inequalities, structural inequalities that impact people's livelihoods, their Mm. career trajectories, their experiences in the education system, their experiences in the legal system and the justice system. And what I tell people is that for every societal problem we associate with racism, there is a parallel problem that can be explained through the lens of colorism. And there are decades of research studies that have found and documented wealth gaps amongst African-Americans, right? And we talk a lot about the gaps between white people and Black people across races. And rarely do we talk about the gaps within the race. And I think that's important because 
a lot of times we wonder why we haven't made progress in terms of racial equality. And I think it's because race is not the only factor in the inequality. And so if we're only looking at one part of the problem, we're only gonna get a partial solution. And so if we really want to see equity and progress in terms of civil rights, we have to include the component of color that has you know, allowed these gaps in educational attainment to persist even since the civil rights movement. And um, I think people would be surprised to hear some of the statistics, right, in terms of wage gaps being as much as 12 to 14 percent for people with lighter skin tones versus dark skin tones. The one that I like to quote because it it hurts the most uh, for some reason, mm-hmm. and it's, it was the most shocking when I came upon this particular study. But the study was done in, you know, public schools amongst African-American boys and girls. And they looked at African-American girls with really light skin tones, um, light skin tones, dark skin tones, and then very dark skin tones. And so those with really light skin tones um, were three times less likely to be suspended. Or a better way to phrase it is that those with very dark skin tones were three times more likely to be suspended than African-American students with very light skin tones. And that was even holding consistent things like GPA and um, socioeconomic status. And being a former educator myself, like I taught K-12 schools, I taught at the university level. I think that dynamic is just extremely telling of how this problem is not just um, a matter of, oh, just love yourself. Just, you you shouldn't right. care what people think. If only your self-esteem was fine, you wouldn't be bothered. And I always ask people, would you go back in time and tell Dr. King, oh, well, you know, don't worry about this race problem. You just need to love yourself. Right. right? Would that be the answer to racism? Is like, oh, the reason why racism is a problem is because y'all need more self-esteem. Right. And so I don't think that that should be the answer for colorism either. Yeah. I mean, that adds even more context to the, to colorism healing, right? Like it's a personal healing and systematically as well. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think I, that's how I conceive of healing as definitely being that personal inner work that is of the self-esteem nature, but also healing in terms of our subconscious attitudes and biases, as well as the, the societal framework, the social fat fabric is frayed, Right. And so how do we heal that as a culture and a community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to get into that and like what steps we can take. Um, but before we go there, I was just curious, like, I know Chelsea having some issues over here, so I don't know. But <laughs> like personal experiences around this, um, I think the something that I've really has been resonating with me is not so much my own personal experience with colorism growing up because frankly, I can't pinpoint moments, but I'm noticing my niece who is, I would say my same skin tone, but like she makes these little comments and like, I don't even know if she's fully aware of what she's saying or what's happening, but it'll be like, I tell her she's black and she's like, I'm not black. I'm brown. And like very like technical things. And I'm like, is this a crayon thing? Like she's very clear on like different people's skin tones and even like the um, texturism, I guess, is a part of that too, to some extent, but I don't know how, you know, where the lines are drawn or where they connect, but just certain hair textures that she likes. 
And it's so crazy because I feel like my sister has worked really hard to like ingrain, like being proud of her blackness, but because all around her and like television and the things she sees that is likely put up on a pedestal that even she's been able to identify already. Like this is what I want to be, or this is Mm -hmm. what is pretty, or this is what is nice. Like even asking her, who's the pretty doll? Who's not the pretty doll? And I'm like, how does this happen? Mm -hmm. This early she's five yes it does happen early and I I noticed it too in terms of um just my cousin my cousins and my niece and my nephew right so I don't have kids of my own but seeing the the kids in my family and I think children are sponges, right? And now those are actually the most formative years and child psychologists and uh, people with degrees in child development will tell you that that's actually when humans are learning the most, right? They say in terms of our human trajectory, we learn the most in those first zero to seven years of our lives. We're absorbing so much. And so everything that is playing out in adulthood is most likely a remnant of that stuff that we started to gather and collect and understand as children. And in terms of the evolution of the human species, that's per survival, right? So children Mm -hmm. have to observe and be sponges of the adults around them and their environment around them, just so that they can know how to be human, how to navigate life in that, in a human body. Right. And so oftentimes, you know, Bell Hooks, shout out to the late, great Bell Hooks. Um, She mentioned she, in a store, in a book called Sisters of the Yam, Yam, um, Black Women in Self-Recovery, I believe is the the full title. Mm -hmm. And she was talking to a mother about how to instill, you know, self-love in the daughter. And so Bell Hooks, you know, challenged the mother to say, it's one thing to explicitly teach these things to your children. And it's another thing to live that in your own body, right? And so how much of our work as adults is not just telling children what to do or showing them images of other people, but how can we make sure we're reaffirming the things we say with how we act and how we show up in our own bodies, right? And then even looking at, you know, people will say, oh, my, my dads and my brother always told me that I was a beautiful dark-skinned woman, but all of their actual dating choices and marriage choices were oh. either non-Black women or very light-skinned women. And so a lot of times I think adults and parents really believe that they're saying the right things. And I think we still underestimate, um, even, even as I'm saying this, I think we might still underestimate how much of our actions and our subtle behaviors and just ways of taking up space are really the primarily where children are learning and picking up these things from. Um, Not to mention, as you said, the media, the cartoons, the coloring books, um, the magazines and all these things. Yeah, it gets real deep. It's sounding very doom and gloom. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I had similar experiences growing up. My family, I grew up my parents were like in the nineties, like very Afrocentric black is beautiful. I went to like a, uh, like an Afrocentric, like daycare. I was just like rooted in all of this. And I still had all this really convoluted notions around beauty and skin and complexion and colorism that I haven't been able to, I didn't start to shake until I was like in my teens college even. I was about to say, yeah. don't let me air you out. <laughs> College even, yeah. How much of it is, when does it turn from like colorism though to like just like race, like 
white supremacy because even like as a like lighter skin girl I feel like I still dealt with the same like beauty issues or, or probably not the same but different um about being a black girl comparing myself to little white girls mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah so I I I am of the mindset that there is no separation between white supremacy and colorism and I get pushback. So obviously there are a lot of people who do not agree with me and on various points around colorism. And um, I got called out on social media for saying that dark skinned people aren't the only one who experience colorism. And I don't mean that in the way people usually, usually mean when they say that, what I mean is, and I heard this on Oprah to Oprah said this first, but it's, it's also like not just being light or dark. It's about being lighter than and darker than. And so even people who are brown or in the middle are, are light skinned will not be light enough. Right. Even people who have three C hair, which a lot of African-Americans would call good hair. It's not white enough. Right. Even if you have light brown eyes, they're not blue. And so I think it is very much a spectrum. And I think just like with privilege in general, whether it's like cisgender privilege or like thin privilege or able-bodied privilege, it's always a spectrum and it can be contextual. And so I definitely say that, you know, even my sister, for example, who is light-skinned, she has a kinkier hair texture. And we grew up in South Louisiana. So there are a lot of African-Americans who are extremely fair-skinned, but also have long hair, have freckles, have green eyes. And so even though she was light-skinned, she had like a wide nose. So we're talking about featureism. And so it's always the the target is constantly trying to get everyone to that Aryan ideal. And anyone who doesn't match that Aryan ideal is considered ultimately as missing the mark. And so definitely even non-Black girls struggle with not being white enough, right? Like we'll have an Asian girl who is born with naturally straight hair and very pale skin, but they have an eye, the shape of their eyes is not European enough. And so I definitely think colorism is one of those branches of white supremacy and also a form of anti-blackness where it's the the ideal is set up to be white especially if you're a woman is to be white blonde haired blue eyes thin nose and then the antithesis of that is set up to be you know dark skin, kinky hair, and wide nose. And so any, all of, most of us are somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. And the, the narrative is that if you're not white, um, you are not valuable, that you are not beautiful, that you are not um, even human. Sometimes if we really look at the history of um, our country, where people with any African blood in them were considered literally not as human as white people. Um, So yeah, I think that's a great point is that it is at the end of the day, in the game of white supremacy, even our light skinned siblings are set up to to be on the losing end of white supremacy. Mm. On a previous episode, we were talking about this, like, what are they called, Chelsea? The Black Manosphere or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, the Manosphere. The Manosphere. And there was some podcasters recently that said some real wild things about their dating preferences. What do you take those kinds of comments to be a result of? I look at those people and I say, y'all are anti-Black. Are they just a product of their environment and we need to put praying hands on them? Like, like, you know, or what? (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, I like the term the manosphere. I've been looking at the TikTok videos that are doing parodies of uh, men. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> they're good. They're good. Um, so yes to, you know, y- y'all's ideas about it being anti-Black, about um, them not loving themselves, having some form of self-hatred, and also being pawns of white supremacy, like allowing themselves to be puppets of the white supremacist agenda, right? At the end of the day, uh, colonialism, the colonizers, they knew that they needed our cooperation in order to really take control of society. And so the thing I, I, I also want people to understand is that this was all very, very intentional and that white colonial powers invested in brainwashing us. They invested time, they invested resources, they invested lots of money, they committed mass acts of genocide and mass lynchings to come to this result, to get to this outcome where you would have black men saying like they have, you know, black girls not feeling beautiful enough because they don't look like, um, I don't know, Jennifer Lopez or Shakira or somebody. And I think the the problem with coming from the manosphere, though, is that that level of patriarchy, that level of male privilege makes it that much more enticing for them to participate in the white supremacy. Because as men who have privilege by virtue of being male, they do gain a little bit more leverage than black women would, right? So they can gain a little bit of clout by throwing black women under the bus, right? Especially dark skinned women are distancing themselves in some way, using us as footstools to gain a little leverage. And I said recently too, though, but you, but the, the thing that you're supporting ultimately seeks to destroy you as well. And I think that's the tragedy that they are not seeing that, right? You might, you might, it's almost like, um, you're being baited, right? You're like, they have a mm-hmm. the little worm on the hook and you're like, oh, I'm gonna go get this worm. <laughs> and then it's like, mm-hmm. surprise, you know, <laughs> now you're caught. A lot of my questions and a lot of like where I, I envision taking this episode is like, okay, how do we identify, you know, what is happening? But then how do we like undo some of these things? But I feel like so much of it really is rooted in having to learn like the root cause. Like on that episode about the manosphere, a lot of our opinions around it was that, you know, when men say, oh, well, I just have a preference for, you know, light skinned mm-hmm. women or white women. And they're like, you women have preferences if someone's, you know, short or tall or, you know, skinnier or bigger. And they, number one, the YouTube comments on that episode are Yo. crazy. And so many of these men are trying to like defend themselves and be like i if if you want a man with money i can want someone who's light skin and i'm like i'm so sorry to break it down to you like sure like there might be problematic beliefs in all of this but like that is not the same thing and a lot of people don't want to admit that so much of that preference is associated with like underlying racism white supremacy colorism internalized racism like no one wants to admit that. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, are they missing something? Like, where's the disconnect? <laughs> so look, oh my God, y'all, y'all on point because what I, 
I, I, I like to ask questions, right? Not like analogies. So what I've asked some guys in the past who say, well, how, well, how do you know it's, when it's just a preference versus when it's colorism? So one, a preference can be colorist, just like a preference can be racist. You can have a racist preference. You can have a sexist preference. You can have a colorist oh. preference. You can have a homophobic preference. And I pose the scenario of, Going into class, let's say you're a student at a university or even if you're an elementary school student and you have a white teacher, let's say your white teacher's name is Amy, you know, she's like in her mid-40s, has like red hair, freckles, you know, just the average white woman. You go to go walk into class on the first day of school and she says, oh, well, hello. Um, you know, I usually prefer to teach white students, but it's okay if you hang with us this semester. I mean, Yo. I'm not racist. I don't have anything against Black students. I just prefer not to teach them. Mm. So you can throw Oof. around the word preference all you want to. I think most Black folks would say that's not, that's racist for her to say she prefers teaching white students, right? And so, yeah, like, just because it's a preference doesn't mean it's not a bad preference to have doesn't mean it's not based in racist ideas or colorist anti-black white supremacist ideas so i mean even even if you say it's just a preference doesn't let you off the hook in my opinion oh i'm so grateful for that language that you just gave us same oh it just like crystallized things for me it's like okay (laughs) you have a preference it's a colorist preference period period that's the end of the sentence (laughs) oh my gosh and so interestingly enough, how we learned about you, the work you're doing, we're introduced to you was through Blair Imani. And she had shared with us, we were starting to get into conversations. We were like, oh, you know, we want to talk to you about colorism. We want to go there. And she was like, ah, 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 don't talk to me about colorism. She was like, I'm a light skinned woman. I don't got nothing to say. Not that she didn't have anything to say, but she was just like, I rather give the voice, the mic the space to someone who is darker skin. And of course, like you're doing a lot of work in this space. And that really took me aback because I was like, one, like, wow, that's amazing. Like thankful to her for, you know, educating us about you, but also for her to say as a lighter skin woman, you know, in this moment on this subject, I need to step back. And I like grapple with like, is that what we should be thinking about? Because a lot of times when we say with a brown like concept of racism, we tell white people pass the mic, amplify black voices. Like, does it need to be? <laughs> there's a lot of people fall away about that term. <laughs> but do we need to amp- like think about amplifying dark skin voices? Like, what? How as a as a people, if we start to think about you know individuals contributing to the systemic implications of colorism how we can improve be better like what that looks like and can I just add one thing onto that Shadi I don't know if this is appropriate in this context but when we talk about racism and white people we either say amplify black voices or we say it's time for y'all to do the speaking like we shouldn't have to advocate Mm. on behalf of ourselves Mm-hmm. Right. So like, so yeah, there's definitely a conversation to be had about how various people show up and choose to take up space or create space for other folks or allow space. And 
I think definitely when we're talking about colorism, there is a need to amplify the voices of darker skinned people. One, because throughout history, especially if we're talking about mainstream outlets and mainstream um, channels, right? Because throughout history, by virtue of their own white supremacist beliefs, um, lighter skinned people have been seen as the more palatable spokespeople for our community, right? And so white people feel like they, oh, they're more approachable or they're more articulate and they don't come off as aggressive, right? Um, so I think for that reason, it is important to try to rectify some of that history by making sure that particularly on an issue that impacts dark-skinned people so deeply that they have their voices heard. And I've also written a piece about this when the Rachel Krug, the Rachel Dollars All Part Two um, mm-hmm. came and out. It was Rachel mm-hmm. too? They were yeah. both Rachel? That's crazy. Them Rachels. <laughs> Rachel. It's like the Karens. We got Karens the Rachels. <laughs> Um, but I wrote a piece about that because other, other folks have been talking about some of the reason why women like that are able to pull that off for as long as they do is because in, in taking on a black woman's identity, they're taking on the, also the appearance of a lighter skinned black woman, right? So yes, they're, they're perpetrating themselves, perpetuating or presenting themselves as black women, but because they're actually white women, they are presenting as lighter skinned black women when they do take on um, that persona. And so that gives them access and privilege amongst the group of African-Americans that they actually wouldn't have in white spaces, right? In a white space, they would just be an average white woman lost in the sea of all white women, right? But because of their physical appearance in African-American spaces, they actually... um, have more status than they normally would if they were just presenting as white. But then in a conversation around colorism, I think seeing my face, for for example, talk about colorism puts it in tennis shoes for people in a way that, for example, seeing Blair Imani's face talking about colorism. Because if you are in fact colorist, if you are in fact struggling with internal biases about dark skin, about 4C hair, that's not challenged for you. Mm. If you're looking at an Angela Rye or um, even an Angela Davis, for example, mm-hmm. talk about this issue. Whereas if you are looking at a dark skin woman with a wide nose and a really tight curl pattern, then you're brought face to face with the very bias that we're asking you to, to unpack and to acknowledge and be aware of. And a lot of people would prefer not to have to be confronted with the very thing that they're being asked to, to look at about themselves. And I say that in acknowledging that, yes, some colorism is very explicit, i.e. the manosphere, but there are just as many people who don't want to be colorists. They don't want to have these biases, but they do. And so I think that's also one of the reasons why people might defer to a lighter skin spokesperson. But to Chelsea's point, I am also of the mindset that everyone has to be a part of this conversation. Even I think even white people need to be talking about colorism, right? And one, because they started it. Right. Y'all started it. Yeah. <laughs> and then left. <laughs> right. And then was like, we're going to act like we didn't, we had nothing to do with it. Left us with this burden. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I think 
there are a few ways to consider like how to show up and when to show up. And one, is it possible for someone else to speak on this issue, right? Is it possible for someone else to speak on this topic? And I think in the case where Blair was, you know, speaking with you all, that's one thing that came to her mind is that, wait, there are actually other people who could just as easily step in in this moment, right? But I think about being in a boardroom, right? Let's say you work at a company and you're in a boardroom and there's a meeting or there's like a a committee and there is not a seat at the table for other people. And so you are in that moment, the only one who is available. You are the only option to speak up. I think that's definitely like a place, a space, a practical example Um, But also what I have found to be very effective is light-skinned people who understand what light-skinned privilege is and have worked through their own personal experiences and have dealt with their personal pain, helping other light-skinned people do that work as well. I think that is really helpful. Um, And I have a lot of light-skinned women in particular who follow me who, you know, they're like, are in mixed race people, right? Like people who are biracial and mixed race saying, you know, yes, we have stuff to talk about that is really unique to our particular experiences. Um, But instead of, you know, coming on to Colorism Healing's page and demanding that emotional intellectual labor from her, like I'm making myself available, send me a DM and I'll talk to you about it, right? And so I think that like for me personally as a dark-skinned woman, it is helpful when my fellow light-skinned siblings help to do some of that emotional labor, particularly with other light-skinned people. So well said, yes, 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 yes. My mind is just blown right now in a lot of different ways because it is there's a lot of layers to these conversations. And so like, you know, obviously we're not, Rome was not built in a day. We're not going to learn it all in one conversation, but like there's so many different ways in which these things could be unpacked because, you know, there's privileges to your point that we experience on a day-to-day basis. That is like, your experience so like how you're seen and like what you're dealing with face to face but then there's also the implications of what these things are doing in our society and I think that it's very challenging to differentiate between the two and a lot of people's experiences is so personal that like I'm I'm but I'm like how do we fix it (laughs) how do we change the world yeah yeah I think that's true though and I think so to be honest, when we talk about colorism, people of color often find ourselves having to do similar work that we ask white people to do. Right. And that feels crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. And I think we have villainized the whole concept of privilege. And I tell people like, let's, let's start by destigmatizing privilege. Right. And like, Mm. we are not bad people because we have privilege. And in the context of colorism, I I use my privilege as a thin person because I think it's a very parallel kind of privilege. Mm-hmm. And it's one that I've noticed throughout my entire life. And no matter who said I need to eat more, no matter who called me lanky in the past, like I was always aware that my body type, the size and the shape of my body has been validated like many times over. And that 
there is a stigma around women in particular, but also men who have larger bodies and whose bodies are shaped differently than mine. And I have like real empathy for that. And so if, for example, someone is starting a body positive campaign and they're exclusively um, casting plus size models, right? I intuitively and inherently understand the need for that kind Mm -hmm. of representation. And so I think, and yet I still feel like I'm a good person, even though I have not had to deal with the kinds of rejection and the kinds of stigma that my siblings with larger bodies and differently shaped, differently abled bodies have had to deal with. Um, And so I think that can apply whether we're talking about white privilege, whether we're talking about straight privilege, class privilege, right? Like we can still be quote unquote good people. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be um, an insult Mm -hmm. (laughs) to say, oh, you're privileged, right? Mm. Yeah. And Shada, you've been talking about like these active steps we can take and I'm, I'm on your site right now. Um, Dr. Webb and your like sort of tagline says, learn, transform, resist. (laughs) So do you consider those to be sort of like the processes? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think those are the three pillars of the kinds of, um, work that I hope to do. And I think that first layer is the the learning piece. And so people can raise their own awareness, but also Mm. work to raise awareness amongst other folks. And then the transformation piece is about doing that inner work, doing your personal work, whether it's you needing to heal from your past trauma related to colorism, whether it's you needing to reprogram your subconscious bias, right? So transforming your mind about skin tone and hair texture and seeing these things differently. And then the resistance is the counter narrative, right? Countering the white supremacist narrative that says an Afro is unprofessional and countering the white supremacist narrative that says, you know, well, dark skinned women are inherently angry or, mm-hmm. you know, too aggressive, right? To quote some of the uh, things that have been spouted out in celebrity news, celebrity gossip news in past years. Yeah. I I think that those steps are super important because everyone has probably internalized something to some extent. And like, if you can't even confront those things, it's you probably will, will be less likely to advocate because you don't want to kind of admit some of the faults you may even have. And I think that going back to the conversation about like putting darker skin women, men, people in the forefront is, is so important because like Glenn, you and I were talking about this and I don't know, I don't want to air your friend out, so I won't name names, but this friend who is very, is lighter skinned, has definitely like an element of like thin privilege in his, um, his work in his space and like feeling a lot of guilt around that. Yes. And the, when you were sharing that with me, like, part of me was like if he don't go with that damn little violin like and go somewhere in the corner but then the other part of me had to be like okay you know what he's definitely probably grappling with this guilt grappling with how to deal with this but like what can be done and the first thing that came to my mind was like all right you know put out other artists that don't look like you that don't necessarily get the praise that you get that you can amplify you know the work that they're doing or you could put them on the forefront because like we can't just all sit here and feel guilty and feel bad and then like 
he needs to eat, he needs to live. We all need to, but at the same time, like, can we share the wealth? Can we share the plate? Can we make sure that everybody's being recognized, especially mm-hmm. in a space that isn't going to necessarily immediately think to highlight these people that we've been told aren't beautiful. Right. Oh, this is a really random question, Dr. Webb. Did you see the British Vogue cover? Oh, yes. did you think of the cover? Was that a big (laughs) win for us? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you can tell by my tone that I don't know how I feel about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a random question at all. I want to really quickly respond to um, what Shade was saying. And I think there could be a mindset shift in terms of like, it's not that I don't deserve this opportunity. It's just the recognition that there are so many other people who also deserve these kinds of opportunities. Mm-hmm. But then to the British Vogue cover example, I have not put out a public statement about it. Although I shared someone else's public statement who gave a really good analysis that I agreed with. One, the reason why I haven't like wanted to speak on it publicly is I kind of default to not being the person who reacts to every popular media thing mm-hmm. happening because I could I'll be on a uh, yes. a hamster wheel of responding to everything that happens in pop culture but for that particular cover too I noticed that for so many of the dark-skinned women in my circle in my you know broader social media online network like that was important for them like that was a win and mm. so I didn't want to be a wet blanket and say that I'm not impressed. (laughs) Well, here's why I'm not impressed by it. I think, yes, it's great. The rep that kind of representation, like in theory, it's really good. I just think the execution was very lacking, was lacking in terms of execution. Mm -hmm. Um, the person whose analysis I share, they said, even if the cover was beautifully and done and well done there's still a very, there's a certain type of dark-skinned woman that tends to be the ones that we promote, right? And that's another conversation for another day because I know some people are probably listening and like, oh, they'll never be satisfied, right? We (laughs) We won't! (laughs) (laughs) Right, and so they noted like all the women were thin, they all were wearing their hair straight and they all were supermodels, right? And so there is a certain kind, it's still a certain beauty standard that is... Um, very narrow. It was still a very narrow version of beauty, even though they were trying to, um, you know, promote and celebrate darker skin tones. But then in terms of the just technical execution, a lot of folks have noted that the lighting was really terrible. Yeah. And I think that was just really disappointing. And the, the ability to, to, photograph dark skin tones, really dark skin tones is learnable. And that's part of the conversation too. Like if you value people of all skin tones, invest in educating yourself on how to photograph in different, different skin tones in different lighting. And it's not, they can't even use the argument of um, the so-called white balance, right? Like when you're photographing like a white person and a dark skinned black person, like some people struggle with that because you have to balance it for both skin tones. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't even have that problem because everybody was the same color, very similar in color. And yet they still didn't do a good job of it. And we've seen other projects with 
you know, less prestige, do it better, right? We've seen projects coming from Black people, but also even there are non-Black people who have done a better job of photographing dark skin. And so I think that's, it was, I just wasn't impressed when I saw it. Like as an image, it wasn't, it didn't have the powerful impact that I would have hoped for something like that. Totally. Yeah. There's a vlogger that I love. Her name is Eloho. And she did a, like a take on this. And she spoke about like in the fashion industry, like there's a, there's a fetishization, honestly, for like super dark skin models. And I've seen this happen over time. They did this, um, like there was like an Italian Vogue years and years ago. And I think that the, the, if I'm remembering correctly, the cover model was like a super dark skin model. And I feel like they think they're doing something by being like very striking, but they're also just trying to create like art. But then that, that means they're using these women's bodies as bo- only bodies, which I guess that's what they are by nature being a model. But I don't know. It just doesn't feel like it actually was in celebration. It felt like it was just like, yeah, like, like, like shock value almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and like how, like, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't into it. I wasn't feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> personally. It's so crazy because we have it within our community, but then outside of our community, you know, you have, I mean, it's a white publication. It's Vogue. So the, they are, I'm rarely looking to them to be leading the charge, even though we want them to so badly because we want to be seen in those spaces. Like that is looked at as like the ultimate space to be in. But I think the photographer was black though, or the creative director, somebody involved in that was a black person. Mm. I mean, the editor, British Vogue. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I feel like you've (laughs) answered a lot. But I feel like there's still so much more to go. I will not keep you here all night because we easily could. Sure. <laughs> I have one question if it, if it doesn't break out. Um, first of all, can you come back for part two when I have internet, please? <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, the second. Yeah, I can never do a part two. <laughs> thank you. And then the second thing is with this topic of colorism, is it just for us to gain understanding or do you think it'll ever go away? Mm. Mm. I don't think it'll go away in totality, mm-hmm. but I think we can reach a tipping point. I think it is possible to reach a tipping point where the amount of people who are in the right frame of mind, the amount of Black people who truly, truly love Blackness in all its forms, the amount of social awareness and social um, structures, right? And policies and implications and professional developments take into account colorism to where the, the remaining elements in society that continue to perpetuate it do not prevail over it. Now, whether we'll see that in my generation, or I don't think we can see my generation, but... <laughs> That is the goal for several generations out. And that is why I am hopeful when I see the teenage girls starting pages on colorism and emailing me to interview me about for the report. They're doing like a high school report on colorism. And they're like, we like, we want to interview you because we want to talk about colorism. Because when I was in high school, 
what nobody talking about colorism right right so to see that generational difference of like how many people are talking about it now I do have hope that we'll reach that critical mass to where it's it's better yeah but no I don't think it'll f- ever fully be eradicated it's so crazy because it's like we have the language for it. We're aware of it, but I still see a lot of us like doing the same things. But it's funny because like I look at music videos, right? And everyone will be like, oh, so there wasn't a single dark skinned girl to be in the video. And everyone gets like up in arms and gets upset. And everyone's like, yeah. And then the next another music video comes out and it's the same thing. <laughs> so I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well, at least we have the vocabulary to identify how we're feeling about this. but. I don't know what the next steps look like, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's such a systemic problem. And so there's, there are multiple next steps depending on who you are and what your lane is. And so I tell people, for people who are music producers, like their next step is going to be different from someone who's a a high school teacher. And then their next step is going to be different than someone who's a stay at home mom. And so my encouragement to everyone who's listening or watching is to understand your lane in the overall liberation of our people. Right. And sometimes it's, it doesn't have to look like my work. Right. But as long as we're all doing our work, I think that's what it takes. But with the problem, I, I hope, we get out of is apathy, right? And so it's less about like the prescription of what to do and more about, are you doing that thing, right? And so like, I'm not gonna tell people what to do or even how to do it, but I think the problem is that not not enough of us are actually doing. Yes. We're gonna clip that and amplify it because- that's so important. Like do what you can within the space that you're in. Right. Like we have this podcast and we of course wanted to make sure that we talked about this, but even I think in my day to day, I'm trying to be more aware of like what I can just do in terms of like experiences that I'm having conversations I'm having with Mm -hmm. nieces, with nephews, with friends, you know? So I really appreciate this. Yeah. No idea. This is like, I feel the healing. I'm not going to lie. This was healing for me. I was literally going to say that. I was like, I just just feel like really good inside. (laughs) Me too. Me too. I'm I'm glad you say that. So it's like, okay, it's working. It's working. (laughs) Honestly, because it's like just having a forum to like talk about it with, you know, with you, but with my co-hosts and close friends and knowing that other people are going to hear this. (laughs) <laughs> for the word of what to call us sorry go ahead sorry sorry you were saying something really good right damn this is why i don't be this you know what dr webb <laughs> me and you yeah. forget them <laughs> but truly well, you we appreciate your time part two yes please <laughs> <so> fantastic. <laughs> because i mean these conversations are so important and i would love to talk about other layers of it with like an expert like yourself um you know like even uh even the jokes that my co-hosts make oh, we and make how those can be traumatizing we don't make those yes. jokes um, no more yeah we've grown <laughs> we have grown <laughs> what have i growth. said growth <laughs> growth i guess um Learn do better but, but this is such an important topic thank you so much for coming thank you yes is there anything you want to share do you have anything 
upcoming you're working on or where we should direct the people. I'm going to put your information, your Instagram and your website and everything in the show notes, but please, you know, let the people know what else they need to be looking out for. Yeah. So it's good that this is coming out on the night because on February 10th, I'm starting a LinkedIn mini series on colorism in the workplace. And it's part of the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator program. So that'll be a six week series. And my first guest, the first topic is just what is colorism, like an introduction to colorism. And my first guest is my older sister. So if you resonate with that story that I mentioned earlier, because my sister and I, you know, speaking of, you know, lighter skinned people doing work on colorism, we've co-written a lot of like articles and research articles and done presentations. She's a social worker by training. Uh, And so I wanted to bring her on because I think it's a good visual, a good dynamic for people to see as we start this conversation. Um, But also I have an international writing contest every year open to everyone. It's free to enter and you can win a cash prize and get published. And that is going to kick off in April. That is amazing. Oh, cool. Thank you again. Thank you so much. And we'll be in touch for part two. More to come. Sounds good. Yes. Get into those additional layers. I'm excited. Yes. Okay. Well, Chelsea, I'm fortunate that, you know, you were in and out there, but we, we felt you and we'll have a part two. Definitely. Part two. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to go with editing, but we're going to find out. Um, So we do have a what would you do, but it's very long. So I feel like it might be better for another episode. But Chelsea, before you got on, Glenn was telling me about some. About the paint and sip and suck. Yeah. Oh, I know someone that was there. Bitch. (laughs) Okay. Y'all tell me more about this because also our social media um, queen said that somebody messages saying off topic. Y'all have to sound off on the podcast about the crazy ass sip and paint fiasco. And I was like, what is that? If you're on Twitter or even Instagram. So it looks like it was just like a sip and paint party, but like there were like naked men, very well built mm-hmm. dicks out. G strings. Oh, yeah. I guess the dicks are out too. Dicks were out. There's one part where the guy, I don't like male strippers, just my opinion, but the girl's like laying on her back on the floor and the guy's like grinding on her face and his bare balls, not balls in G-string, bare balls are like smacking her in the mouth. And I'm like, y'all didn't send this to me? I didn't see those extended clips. I'll send you them from Twitter if I can find them. At one point, okay, well, I did look it up on Twitter. Like I went and clicked the the hashtag or whatever and it seems like these are a part of these these paint and sit parties which if i'm not mistaken take place in atlanta are we surprised no shade to y'all down there just <laughs> ombering some weird shit it's ombering because it, it, it's like they got you got hookah you got bottles you got a host they got a stage they got people stripping they got food probably a buffet and then people are also <laughs> painting and in the scene there was a clip going around of this woman like sucking a little bit of ding dong and there's a man right in front of her still painting on his canvas like people are actually going to the paint and sip to paint which is crazy to me like why i don't just have like a stripper party but it's just like a theme which is why i was not surprised that somebody started sucking dick because that's what but you said for. it is a sex party it is i mean it is saying, i think that's marketed what they as a for. sex party no it's not marketed as a sex party but it has sexual 
shit affiliated with it. It's probably I need more context because there is a paint and sip and then there is a paint and sip. Paint and suck and sip. There is no in between. Okay. Like if you invite me to a paint and sip and sure there are naked models and paint and sips all the time. That does not then mean that it ends in dick sucking. I think it's, I think it's like, it's a paint and sip, right? Paint some dick or whatever, but some women get extra wild. And I think the guys that work there are okay with that. And so like, you don't have to go there and suck dick, but like, if you want to go there and suck dick, you're welcome to it. That's the energy is, that I got from it. And is that clear on the marketing? Because if I was there and Girl, then I didn't get an invitation, that I'm was so happening. I would You're be so- asking for my money back. You would? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my God. I would be. I would be entertained. Up? I would be like, I wouldn't oh, be involved, but shit. I would be very entertained. No, yeah. I would be so disturbed. You it's have like no the strip idea. club I went to in Jamaica, Shades. That Okay. Again, I'm in a strip club. If I paid my $25 or whatever, thinking, oh, you know, me and my girls or me and my whatever are going to paint and sip. Sure, yes, I understand. Make but you're not models. painting sunsets, you're painting dick. Yeah, but that happens all the time. People paint. <laughs> it's not like a fucking it's not like um, artsy. It's not like high art, art class, class at, your, at your master's program. <laughs> it's like a, di- a man with a G string with his dick going like that. I think he literally there's oh. like whipped cream and everything. It's like <laughs> okay, so not so the other men men that are there, I'm assuming. I think they're with women. I saw are not heterosexual or that. Oh, I thought it was just women. I saw a man in there painting while the lady was sucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sent you a video. Okay. Um, so your friend that went, Chelsea, she just said like, that's just how it is. I mean, it's an acquaintance. Um, it's like a girl I went to school with, went like elementary school, but I saw on her page and like, first she was painting a dick and like, then like, there was someone with balls like getting smacked in their face. Then like, like people, I don't know. It was just a lot. And I was like, I would just be there watching. Yeah. It's like kinky, but like, again, male strippers. No, thank you. I don't like male strippers. A lot of people online, and this is the, what would you do? We could spin it. They were like, if this is my friend, I would have snatched her up by the hair. I would have cursed her out. I would have cut her off. Wait, what? Why? Cut her off, that. But I probably would have single. Who cares? Snatched them up. Why? <laughs> unless, unless she was drunk and like you right. thought, oh fuck, she's making a fool she's, out of herself. Like, doing but, something like, that she doesn't want to do. Right. But if she wants to do that, but then also people were filming her, so then that's a problem. If they're gonna have that type of space, it needs to be a safe space where people are exactly. not filming. And then, like, if I if I have a friend that I know that that's like how she likes to get down, she's sexually liberated or whatever. It needs to be fully fully marketed as a paint and sip. It can't, I mean, as a sex thing. It can't be like, oh, it's kind of a sexy paint and sip. And people may just have their phones out recording. And then the next thing I know, my friend is in there getting slapped in the face with balls and sucking dick. And it's on Twitter. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, no. no absolutely not. <laughs> but people were saying that they would be like mad at their friend, which I would not be mad at my friend. Would you be mad yeah, at your no. friend? Why? Yeah, I'd probably be judging my friend. Oh my God. Here's boring shot A now. Yeah. <laughs> I would just be like, girl, the fuck? Maybe like a slight judge, like, girl, you wilding. Like, whoa, yo, I can't believe you did that. Wow. Like all of that, we, but not like mad. I would I be mean, like, girl, put your mask on. 
<laughs> right. We out here sucking like, red strippers' dicks. No know. shade to the stripper, but how many mouths has that dick been in? But That's maybe true. she sucked it with a condom. Girl, you think the girl went into the paint and sip and then pulled out the condom, nicely placed it on the man and was maybe he had like flavored ones. So it was like less about dick sucking and more just about like a little fun, you know? Yeah, he might have gone around and had everybody like suck it. Like there's a porn category like that. But like a new condom each time. Right. <laughs> That's not happening. Okay. That's just not what's happening. I literally was that at a gay club in Mexico and all the like male strippers like had their dicks out. And our friend was like joking like he was going to go suck one of their dicks. And we literally snatched him up. <laughs> like if you don't. So actually this has happened to me. Yo, but guess where I was in a fucking strip club where it would make <laughs> sense that you were going to suck some dick. Not at a paint and sip. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to imagine like all the women I know in my life in that situation. I would be deeply disturbed if it was anybody that I actually know. But if it was, but that's why, that's because I don't have any friends that are like open like that. Okay. So she's like, if it's some random bitch that I kind of know and she went and sucked dick, I'd be getting entertained. Okay. Think about (laughs) your early 20s. The the old friend. Right. Might suck some dick. I could see her sucking some dick. (laughs) She when she like men that much. When she did, when she did. When the dick was the preferable taste. I actually couldn't see that. I, I could see you doing that, Glenn. Sucking dick? Yeah. I was going to say, I could see you doing it. I could kind of see you doing it too, Loki. I don't suck random dick. <laughs> okay, let's move on from this topic. Um, <laughs> listen, I'm not here to slut shame anyone. I just need people to be wise because we're getting a little too old for these shenanigans. And I'm yeah. going to tell you young people as well, you might want to have some fun and then you go home with chlamydia in your mouth. So, you know, well, just chlamydia be a little mindful. You know, you just take a pill, but herpes <laughs> is more like what I would be <laughs> concerned about. Um, it's true. Chlamydia, you take a pill, it's gone. You can take a pill, but you don't know you have it. My friend got chlamydia from her man getting his dick sucked when they were on a break for two days. It was crazy. Niggas. Oh my god! So you know, you just be spreading that chlamydia all around. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Well, girls, don't go to the sip and paint and suck dick. If you want to suck something, suck on the paintbrush. Correct. <laughs> if you have an oral fixation. Honestly, we should reach out to them and we could we could help that paint party become a. A bona fide like sex party. Right. They really could be a sex party with painting. It makes sense actually. That it'll just just be a sex party. New venture of Black Girls Texting LLC. Um, all right. Well, Josie, you want to tell the people where they can find us? You can find us on Instagram at Black Girls Texting or at blackgirlstexting.com. You can email us your what would you do at hello at blackgirlstexting.com. You can tweet us at blackgirlstext1. You can also become a patron where we get extra juicy and we can tell you about who was second random dick. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> One of y'all was doing that though. On I the recall. Patreon. On the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> on the Patreon. On the Patreon. And then we also have a YouTube. <laughs> so on YouTube, we're Black Girls Texting. So yeah. We Hello. are at 901 subscribers. I would love to get to 1,000. And all you have to do is press the red button. Press the button. Also, I okay, listeners, my, my personal page is private. And I have about 60 friend requests right now. But some of them 
have like no picture or no whatever. And I'm like, is this just a, someone who's trying to see my shit? Mm, so if, you, if you're a listener, tell me something about the episode and maybe I'll let you follow my personal page. I'm fucking dead. <laughs> All right, y'all. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Black Girls Texting. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Oh, and don't forget to text every group chat you're in and tell them to check us out. Follow your girls at Black Girls Texting and we'll see you next week. Bye.